0: The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year.
1: Hello and welcome to my marvelous year, the comic book reading club, where we're going through the best of Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and I'm joined by Dave Busing, who is a bride in a mannequin in a wedding dress. I don't know. I didn't have anything planned, so in fact, I couldn't tell. I could not you're, tell that you didn't you're have anything a, planned. You're a vacuum cleaner strangling me. Uh, <laughs> God, I feel like there's, <laughs> that there's one be a little better.
0: Yeah, that's something. Dave I mean, is not, as unto nothing. a vacuum cleaner strangling me. That, D- Dave that more or, or less sums up our podcast <laughs> D- relationship, so I don't have a problem with that. But no, that's right. This is 1989, part two. Uh, I'm Dave, I run ComicBookHerald.com, he's Zach, he joins me on At My Marvelous Year, and we talk about all the good and interesting and important Marvel comics. So thanks for joining us. Again, this is 89 Part 2, which means we are following up 89 Part 1, which was a coverage of the Inferno event that kicked off Mm -hmm. Marvel's 1989. Now we talked about the X-Men episodes, or the X-Men issues in that episode, and today we're going to be talking about the tie-ins, Outs mostly outside of the X universe. There's one. It's kind of got half foot in uh, in both yeah. worlds. Um, but we're gonna go through Avengers, Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Excalibur. Now, technically, these are not all of the crossovers. So, if you want the full Inferno uh, crossover tie-in experience, you can check out the reading order over on ComicBookHerald.com. Just uh, Google Inferno Reading Order, look for compacarel.com, or go to my site and just search for Inferno Reading Order there. Um, But, you know, if you want everything. Now, I will say with the coverage we did today, Zach, with these issues, Mm -hmm. we covered, first off, there aren't actually that many times that we missed. And second, I feel like we covered all the essentials, like absolutely We missed a little bit of the Louis Simonson Power Pack, if you're a big Power Pack fan. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, I mean, we cover. We cover the big stuff. Um, we take out some and, and, chunks of Spidey intentionally because, frankly, you don't need them. But how did you yeah. feel about this broadly? As a okay, we're doing a separate tying episode. We're reading them out of quote unquote chronological order because we already covered mm-hmm. all the big X Men stuff. What was that experience like for you? I think I think this was good
1: splitting it up like this. I think I would have. Um, yeah, I, I I think I prefer this approach. You know, it. it yeah, you're right that it doesn't make sense, right? Because we've already seen like how it all gets tied up. But, like, this is not something where, like, Captain America or Spider-Man is directly contributing to the main Inferno event. They're more just reacting to the side effects of it, right? So, like, it kind of was just checking in to see how it affects all of them. And reading it separately, I think, helped. I would have gotten a lot more bored or um, feeling like I wanted things to move along if we were reading it, like, you know, two issues of the main event Jump over to Spider-Man for an issue. Two more issues of the main event. All right, here's a couple Daredevils that don't have... I, I think I would have, like, been, like, ready to hurry it up and get back to the main event. And splitting it up like this, I think, is useful.
0: Now, have you... have you? So, in my experience, obviously, I've read a gazillion comic book events. And those reading orders are a big part of what has made Comic Book Herald uh, the name in comic book reading orders. <laughs> I think we would all agree. Except for comicbookreadingorder.com can I can I curse on my own podcast do i yeah. do I need your permission to do it because no f- you um, <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, so I would say like the reading orders obviously that is it can be a fun experience to feel like the whole universe is mm-hmm. a part of this event and I think inferno does capture that experience as to the question of well, what's actually more enjoyable is it reading through these in like Close to publication order, but more essentially like where they fit in the chronology of the Marvel Universe, or is it actually more fun to read like the main stuff and then the tie ins? Because we're going to encounter this obviously a ton, you know, as we move into the 2000s in the club or even just the 90s, right? Like, do we read all of Civil War, talk about those seven issues, then talk about some tie ins? I think that's probably the approach we're going to take. Mm-hmm. Definitely for conversation purposes, I think yeah. that fits better. I think there are readers though. Who definitely prefer, like, I just want to go through this whole thing, and I want to do it in chronological order. Obviously, that's been yeah. my experience on CBH, where I see a lot of people do that. Um, I'm curious. Definitely, if you are wrestling those thoughts, it's going to be an increasingly relevant conversation, because yeah. Inferno is not the last of its kind. This becomes more and more regular. Um, so let us know. You can tweet us at my year. You can write to us at MyMarvelousYearGmail.com. Or, of course... If you are backing us over at patreon.com slash my marvelous year at the uh, requested tier, you can uh, let us know in the Slack. But I'd be curious yeah. what people's thoughts are in terms of how do you prefer to read mega events? Because Inferno is the first one we've cared about, cared about yeah. enough to say, let's do some tie ins, right? Um, not that I- there's been Secret Wars 2. Um, and then Mutant Massacre and Fall of the Mutants are kind of smaller, tighter things in that in the mutant universe. This
1: feels like the first really big crossover event, besides Secret Wars 2, arguably, I guess, but we kind of... I mean, maybe still figuring just... it
0: out, right? Even, even yeah. aside from just yeah, yeah, not yeah. liking it, it's literally trying to figure out, like, how would this work? What do we yeah. do? It's tied to Jim Shooter's... Absolutely, like... megalomania. Yeah, 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 like, a, you know, vision of just, like, this happened at this hour, and then this, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, Inferno's not nowhere near that tight. Basically, what all these issues have in common is, okay, what's the hook of Inferno? Oh, there's a demon invasion of New York. Okay, mm-hmm. how are the heroes going to deal with that, right? So it takes the baseline simple premise, because Inferno's an event that is kind of difficult to sum up, as you may oh, yeah. have gotten from our sidewinding part <laughs> Three one Three main
1: villains, right? <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. There, there's many, a gazillion things going on. Together.
0: I think the only, probably Excalibur is the only series where it like it pays to know the complexities of Inferno. Uh, whereas Avengers, Amazing Spider-Man, and Daredevil, Demon Invasion, New York, got it. Right now, let's go. Let's see what happens. So, all right. With that said, um, again, if you can uh, support the show over at patreoncom year, it helps us out greatly. Thank you to everyone who's generously done so so far. We are entirely entirely reader supported we are turning away sponsors so that we can say that did you know that we are saying to sponsors all over the world back off back off take your money throw it down a pit that's what we're saying so that we can say we're reader supported this is and uh, we, we
1: got to stay pure for the listeners yeah we got we, we, I, not, here's the thing i don't want I to a compromise like,
0: product yeah i feel like people have gotten too comfortable with with selling out you know, like it used to be like, like in the nineties, right? If like a band had a car commercial, a song, a car commercial, they're out, right? Like no longer cool, right? I think we need more of that. We need more hostility and exclusivity towards people willingly, uh, doing things just for the passion, man, just for the passion and, uh, and suffering and not, uh, getting to enjoy the, the, you know, rewards of their labor,
1: right? That being said, if Marvel Unlimited wants to sponsor us, my uh, my email inbox is wide open.
0: Email inbox is open. Mine is yeah. closed. Mine is mine yeah. is closed to them. T- truly, to because <laughs> here's the thing: if Marvel Unlimited came in tomorrow, it would be fantastic for Compo Carol. Like, truly, the best possible thing I could have is a Marvel <laughs> Unlimited affiliate program. But I'd be so mad about the straight up decade. Of um, of Marvel limited subscriptions, I have driven like that. I that I yeah. am certain I have driven that I have not gotten a penny from, which is just how the world works. That's what happens when you recommend something and you are not uh, connected in any way. But I'm, I'm I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm going on a pretend. I'm going on a long bitter tear about Pseudo-sour something that is grapes, all yeah. sarcastic yep. and nothing <laughs> I believe. But it's long enough now that I must have listeners thinking. You have to commit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are his actual thoughts. This right. Lunatic. You 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 protest too much, yeah. Oh, far too much. Like five minutes too much. All right, let's get into the issues before. Speaking of me protesting, Walt Simonson on Avengers. Now, last time we read Simonson on Avengers, you were pretty positive, right? We read that Wild Nebula Kings uh, Doctor Druid thing. You didn't so all right, two issues two ninety eight to three hundred. First off, <laughs> bonkers number three hundred issue. For this to be uh, Avengers number three hundred, insane choice. Um, basically this is Jarvis dealing with Inferno. It's a yeah. really fun premise. I, <laughs> yeah, I dig that yeah, a lot, good. actually. Yeah, yeah, it's fun.
1: It's well, it's because the Avengers split up after the cross time Kang thing. The Avengers are basically completely no more. Like Thor left, She Hulk left, Doctor druid is dead is that what happened to him i don't know he's gone he's um, missing yeah he's gone sure. it, whatever they, they all split up and then jarvis is out of a job he's living with his mother <laughs> they're living off his pension and uh yeah it's him dealing with uh inferno happening in new york city it's fun it's fun to have a jarvis issue i feel like walt simonson didn't have like a particular voice for jarvis here that was a little bit of a bummer like i don't know jarvis was a little like the most bland stereotype of the like proper
0: butler could I would say like, he... Jarvis has been super charismatic anywhere No, else I know, America's but, though.
1: like, when you're going to focus on him, I, like, I wish there was... It, this, this is a very minor complaint, because I did like this issue, but I think I was a little bummed that he wasn't either, like, more absurdly, like, jokingly the proper butler... You know, and playing into that or something like I i just wish there was a little bit more of like a twist to his personality than just being like, yeah, he's a pretty nice guy. He's <laughs> he's just a, right. a nice man walking around New York City in a butler's outfit. That's like you could replace this with Rick Jones, honestly, and it would work pretty similarly,
0: you know, or just like any random civilian. Well, it's, you could she- replace it with Rick Jones, but you're pretending that wouldn't bring it down. <laughs> Several notches. You're pretending you wouldn't be outraged that we read this comic right now? I know, I know. I don't believe that for a second. I there's an opportunity here to have explored more of like who is Jarvis? What should we know about him? This comic doesn't really do that. Um it leans into the gag of just like, hey, we don't have an Avengers team. What's Jarvis doing during this madness? Which is which is fun. I I think Simonson's pretty good outside I think he's pretty good in general, but I think he's pretty good outside of Thor at kind of like gag concepts that he employs like we're gonna see this in acts of vengeance in fantastic four like his issues stand out by virtue of the premise being kind of just fun and like kind of make you smile like they're not laugh out loud funny but they're also just like oh that's a fun concept i'm glad somebody explored that um i like the concept i like the premise more than i like the actual content i i think you know it's not like there's anything <laughs> yeah i i feel like i've been saying that about
1: simonson's writing for uh, about a year now which is
0: like even you when you say I that about something like Frog Thor, which I genuinely, genuinely like, I think those are very yeah. good comics. I these to me are Yeah, this is fun, really fun in in th- in theory, in execution. They are fine. I mean, so we got John Bushema on layouts, we got yeah. Tom Palmer on yeah, finishes. Art. You know what? This so issue two ninety first issue here, it actually does something very fun, which I like. It opens with a black and white image of like destruction. And I was like, Oh, weird. Like, is this scan? you know busted or something like what happened here it's jarvis reading the newspaper so then Mm -hmm. the next page i i like that it's a very minor small little like comic style thing but i actually like that visual intro of he's reading the newspaper and black and white into then the fold out and smaller panels of him reading you know sitting with his mom um and and you know just like in his off time but yeah i mean it's all it's all a jarvis journey through inferno he runs into all sorts of create you know crazy machines and things being taken over uh he runs into uh Captain America who we know yep. from reading Captain America is uh what do we call it like on the lam kind of like he's kind of in hiding right now he's mm-hmm. not the official cap um and like Jarvis runs into a bunch of heroes who help him stop things but otherwise he gets to fight things with his umbrella it's fun if inessential and it's a good use of like Alright, if this crazy event's happening and we're not gonna contribute to the main story in any meaningful way, what story should we tell? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like yeah. this is a decent way to do that. It also loops in like the Fantastic Four pretty thoroughly, um, as well as like some X Factor stuff like Danny and Maker. So I mean it's it's odd and it, it works. I, I think it's generally pretty good.
1: God, there was so he does loop in the Fantastic Four, and I wish I could remember the line because it starts out with uh with Reed Richards being like I can't remember if he's just sexist or just, like, an obnoxious husband to sue. Do you remember this? It's is like there the is there a th-
0: difference with Reed? It's usually, it's usually a combination Oh, wait, of wait, the wait, I, I,
1: got, I got it here. What was it? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just him being like, uh, my son would be more than a match for bedbugs, and... Sue was like, "Your son, weren't we partners on that particular transaction?" And he goes, "Fathers get the sons, wives get the daughters." Yeah. Oh, so I think we should discuss this further. No problem. I'll just turn out the light. And it's stupid, it's supposed to be flirting or whatever. I mean, but that's uh, like,
0: right, that's like a private conversation. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> That's not just Yeah. yeah. I read Reed can be a jerk. I mean, it's oh, whatever. Sure. That they yeah. have their dynamic. Um, I will say so issue 300 is like pretty nuts. Um, for, so first off, it's way oversized. It's like, way oversized. Way oh, God, oversized. thank God. It's 40 it, it plus pages. It could have been,
1: it could have been half, it was 48 pages, and it
0: really didn't need to be. It really no. didn't need to be. And I'm not just I mean, how, just many, how many oversized specials have we read that very benefited few. from yeah. being oversized? I mean, it's it's a handful the like, most. like,
1: count on one hand, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah but so this the, one loops the in the Kang, is... the
0: Conqueror, into the Inferno Madness, and, like, it. Honestly, the whole issue is very strange. Um, well, like I can't say I super Nanny. recommend it.
1: Orphan Maker and Nanny have stolen Franklin Richards and, like, imprisoned him in, like, a metal suit of armor. And then Gilgamesh, one of the Eternals, um, yeah. shows yeah. up for reasons I, I can't quite parse, right? Decides that he needs to go help, I think, just because Inferno's happening. It's
0: just, like, a dearth of character. It's like, we don't have Thor, so who can we get? Let's get Gilgamesh of the Eternals and see right. what he's up to. I mean, Simon's yeah, and... a big Kirby guy, so maybe there's some connection there.
1: Yeah, and you know, Gilgamesh shows up, fights the you know, Orphan Maker and Nanny, which which I think they're actually pretty characterized pretty well here. This was the I, like I, felt I like them. The I premise got a good of them going to steal Franklin. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh sorry, I, I felt like I got a good grasp of them here after them being like you know, like the fourth minor character in the other Inferno stuff we read. You know, like right. they they got thrown in and they were so like secondary to all the rest of the action besides you know nastier and sim and there's the goblin queen and there's sinister and i'm sure i'm forgetting other people there's so much else going on that they i like had a hard time paying much attention to them so at least they well, get this a spot is a good light. place for them right because yeah.
0: they're they're in the preludes in x factor and then they're in the epilogue yeah. Um, but they, I mean, like you said, there's so much going on with villains in in the actual Inferno event that, like, this is a good space for them to fall into and still acknowledge, like, oh, yeah, they're out there doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and have them stealing Franklin is like, all right, yeah, let's loop them into the Marvel Universe. I mean, honestly, by, the, by 300, this feels more like a Fantastic Four tryout, I would mm-hmm. say, than it does in Avengers book, which is why I think it's so strange as an Avengers number 300, which is, like an enormous milestone in the lives of the Avengers. You know, think about the milestone issues we've had so far, right? Like 200 is a Fantastic Four is like a huge Doctor Doom battle. Obviously, Amazing Spider-Man number 100. He gets the Avengers 200
1: is an all-timer. Avengers 200,
0: right? For, for all the <laughs> wrong reasons. But yep. this, if you ask somebody like, hey, Avengers 300, what's what's the milestone that happens here? It'd be like, well, uh, I, well what? I, I think what
1: happens here is that the te- he completely reconfigures the team, right? It's a yeah. roster change. And you end up here with, the, uh, one of the weirder and least interesting rosters I can imagine. Avengers before. is
0: always a weird a weird team, I, until I like they're the, the biggest uh, thing in the world, you know?
1: Yeah, I like the weirdo... Like, I like the Dr. Druid, She-Hulk, Thor, uh, Black Knight team. Like, I like the all the, the strange mix of, like, one, maybe two A tiers, a couple B tiers, and a few C tiers thrown in. This There's a quirkiness th- to that, Thor- yeah. Yeah, I like the, the weird quirkiness of it, for sure. But this is Captain America, Thor sue and reed richards and Gilgamesh? <laughs> right. and right. it's like why are the the reed and sue said they quit the fantastic four but then they're like well we'll join the avengers which i don't i guess i'm we're not reading fantastic four right now um walt simonson is also writing fantastic four at the moment i think which is like uh, steve stra-
0: englehart's still on the title but simonson's oh, about to i think and we read so we read fantastic four the secret wars three arc and obviously in that one, Reed yeah. and Sue are not a part of the team, right? Because remember, it's Ben, it's uh, Miss Thing, it's Johnny, oh, right. and God, is it Crystal yeah. with them um, at yeah, this point in time? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's but, right you know, so
0: Doom comes that. in and he's like, you guys need a smart leader, and that's that leads to the whole Secret Wars 3 thing. Yeah. So right, right, they're right. available, I guess. And, yeah, I had forgotten this era, uh, if you can even call it an era, this moment in Avengers ever happened where Reed and Sue were like, yeah, we're Avengers. <laughs> <In>
1: the, <laughs> yeah. Because it is, yeah, it's, it's
0: this funny thing that, you know, if you at a trivia night or whatever, um, the best kind of trivia night, which exclusively deep continuity, <laughs> Marvel stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, it's like, if you you could say almost any character and be like, were they on the Fantastic Four? Odds are yes. And then you could kind of say the same thing with the Avengers. And that applies to Reed and Sue as well. Uh, I had forgotten Gilgamesh the Eternal entirely. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, that yeah. character means nothing to me. I actually find it with the Eternals, you know, going to be a big thing. I'm actually like fairly invested in just what that character is doing here and what they might mean. Um But yeah, I mean, it's, it is, I guess you're right. It's He's, all about, it's a milestone issue with the purposes of saying, what's the book going to be going forward. But to me, a milestone issue should be about a little more than that. You know, yeah. it should be an actual development in the world of the Avengers. I do quite like the backup story here which is a simonson john workman special in the mm-hmm. style uh written and drawn by simonson of thor that is basically it's basically a low key thor story but from the vantage point of how the avengers got together back in avengers number one um yep. that's a pretty fun yeah, backup if fun. you're a fan yeah. of simonson thor yeah
1: gilgamesh uh, i mean the problem with gilgamesh is that he's a like you said he's a le- le- less interesting thor Right? Yeah. He's just a big, strong guy from a different era who, you know, he doesn't have the charm of Hercules. He doesn't have, like, the whole world of Asgard like Thor does or interesting powers of Thor. He's just a big, tough guy. Um, maybe he gets better because I'm looking right now. He's going to be on the Avengers for 91 issues for the next six years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's Amazing. wild to me. Yeah. I, it, I I need definitely Eternals as Avengers is something I'm very interested in. Um, heading into the MCU, kind of opening up of trying to make them a big thing because it's definitely a blind spot for me. You know, like mm-hmm. I know, like Cersei is going to be a big player in the Avenger in the world of the Avengers. That's the one that I know about. But I'm I'm curious because like it seems like historically, canonically, those characters didn't get developed in any way that then spurred them on to be like you know fairly like they're not even B or C tier Marvel characters in the consciousness of. You know not the most like the most diehard eternal fans so i'm kind of curious like does it mean that the storytellers just don't give them anything to do or are they actually just like what happened there where you have a gilgamesh and a cersei on avengers for all these years i mean i guess a big part of it is like avengers is a book that's kind of in a rut um and has been for some yeah. time you know i i think right. it's i don't know like i i think once we get out of the simonson book here I don't know how we're gonna read some Avengers because it's still a huge title, but it's not a book. When I think of like, oh, what's good in the, from '89 through '94, you know, I don't think of Avengers in in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't read any for the next two years, and we read very little of it in
1: like '92. So. Yeah, yeah Avengers Stance. Let me
0: know. Let me know uh, what good Avengers. It, Avengers are is. Up.
1: You're right. It's just so fascinating <laughs> that uh, that Avengers. You know, like the the biggest name in worldwide media now the biggest franchise in the world just has this long legacy of like mediocre to like occasionally
0: eh, it's okay comics well i think the reality though is it's hard. super groups are hard yeah I think oh, super yeah, super sure. teams are hard right like it's justice league has the same problem you know you go through these massive even like post-crisis justice league becomes the giffen to Maddie's, um mcguire era have you read this yet been, I'm reading. I'm reading it right now. I'm like okay. both issues in. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. But even that, which I love, um, is a totally different take, right, sure. on that world. Yeah. And then, and then you have gaps until like you know 96 ish, like with Grant which Morrison taking I'm, over. I'm, JLA. I just started
1: that one as well. I'm, I'm kind of reading both in oh, you're doing a Big yeah. Justice League yeah. binge then. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, but you know, but it, it, they they have the same issue, I think, but maybe in a smaller degree because Avengers can't even keep. Well, I guess Justice League had the same problem where it's like we don't even have like the best players in this universe on a roster, you know, becomes one of the Avengers' biggest challenges.
1: I, I think it's just, like, it, it might be a... Avengers works best for me. Like, I think it worked best in the Stern era. And Stern often had a lot of small moments and small, like... I, 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 Thinking about what I, like, instinctually like about it, which is, you know, like, roster changes and the bureaucratic business of being an Avenger and the, like, tiger walking around the mansion and being like, wow, I get $2,000 a month? Like, that kind of stuff... I think that works for me, and I think it works because the alternative is that you have six of the most powerful superheroes in Marvel. And so the threats have to be, you know, absolutely enormous to compensate, which is hard to pull off and not be boring and over... You know, it's hard to have universe-ending threats, right? Like, it is a very rare thing when, like, the world or the universe is totally at threat and for that to be engaging. Because, you know, you check out, it's not... The the number's too big, right? Those numbers are so big that you... Your brain doesn't really comprehend them on an emotional or gut level. Oh, um, well,
0: sometimes. I mean, in the, in the hands of creators I mean, who st- know how Starling to do that. Starling can do it, right? Right. Like, I was going to say, Starling would yeah. bring that cosmic heat, and yep. it works. I think Jonathan Hickman in the modern era on Avengers is somebody else who does it quite well. But I, once we hit— But it's rare. Once we get to like, 98, yeah. we're going to have Busiak-Perez on Avengers. Like, we're going to hit a series of interesting—even if people don't like them, interesting runs. We're going to hit Busiak-Perez, then we're going to hit the Bendis era of New Avengers— then that takes us pretty much all the way to Hickman. I mean, more or less. And uh, so it's like a handful. And, and then like even right now, in the we're recording this in 2021. Um, Jason Aaron's writing Avengers, and that's a run that I think does exactly what you're saying right now, where it's trying to be so big, and it, it doesn't have a handle on it, and it's just yeah. like everything misses, and it's it's too hard to relate to. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's it is an interesting franchise. I will I will fully agree um all right let's let's move on to our next crossover or tie-in which is amazing spider-man uh issues 311 to 313 these are uh, continues the david michael and todd mcfarlane era of spidey and it continues to be very interesting by virtue of being very good creators you know like the end and mcfarlane on spidey you know is just visually like so far and above what we've seen from spider-man in the like Mm -hmm. really what we're seeing at marvel generally um Just in the way that he obviously, his like he is redesigning supers and especially Spider-Man in a way that is just kind of captivating and and really fascinating to watch. Um, I don't love these comics per se. It's kind of just the same beat. It it feels these
1: feel like if it was not for McFarlane's art, if we had kind of a a stock standard like house artist on this, I think these would be kind of unremarkable and like oh, these are uh, you know middling B minus c-plus standard like spider-man fights the lizard spider-man fights uh what else does he do oh mysterio mysterio right and, and it's not even like a good lizard or a good mysterio story it's like mysterio tricks him into thinking somebody got killed on his watch but like it doesn't it's sell kinda, it that it's kind of tapping the
0: vein on stuff we've already read so, oh yeah you for know
1: sure. and, and kirk connor's turning into the lizard it's like it is a less interesting version of kirk connor's than we've seen before which is literally yeah just but that lizard turns, though that lizard. Okay, so well that's what I'm saying. So like <laughs> yes, you can see you can see really the, the future that Todd McFarlane's gonna have on Spawn when yeah. he does the Inferno demons and when he's doing the lizard, those teeth and the you know, just that like the, the the monster design of these uh these things is something that like McFarland's really known for and that felt like oh this this might be the beginning of of I that mean just then. look
0: at the cover if you yeah. if you want to feel for that cuz those covers are uh, of the villains they make them they make the issues seem like they're going to be a bigger deal yeah than they actually for sure. are yeah. you know you just look at it and you're like oh this must be Classic. the lizard story and yeah, it's not yeah. really um it, it does lean into Basically, what every lizard story becomes or has been, uh, which is, you know, he can't control turning into the lizard. He threatens his own family, Um, and then Spider-Man jumps in to stop him. Right? Uh, Spider-Man jumps.
1: Spider-Man pushes him into some rubble, and then is like, uh, "Quick, let me brew up a quick a formula, real quick, with the Bunsen burner." Like while the lizard is clawing his way out, he's he's uh, concocting a new formula to pour down his throat.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I do love in issue three eleven. Um, which is the Mysterio comic where he makes him think he killed somebody during the Inferno, demons, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Peter and MJ go to a bar. <laughs> MJ has to go <laughs> to, uh, yeah. Mut- what is it, Mustang Eds is what it's called. I'm looking at it. And uh, so MJ is wearing a cowgirl outfit looking uh, svelte. And, Are you uh, looking Peter at their picture
1: is... right now? Wait, I'm sorry. Are you looking at What's the that? photo of them at the bar?
0: I am, yeah, because okay. Peter's wearing at, a little cowboy hat, and he is the saddest little guy you've ever seen. It's inc- <laughs> he is, He's he was... so glum at this party. <laughs> he,
1: yeah, he's he's a sad little cowpoke. Look at Mary Jane's hand holding the soda. That, cause she, I only look back because she's like, we'll drink a couple That's how I hold soda. soda.
0: I put my thumb on the outside. I put all fingers on one side of the glass, and I just cup it. <laughs> you, <laughs> up real hard
1: you turn your hand in kind of a, a one one big lump of a, a lego hand uh-huh. almost and then i mean just people like give life
0: all the hard time for not being able to draw feet do we have a mcfarlane uh, hand uh, problem because look at no, peter's hand in that wrist, panel as well peter's hand is the size of the hulks but his body he, is not proportional his
1: hands his hands are definitely proportioned bigger because you look through the rest like if you flip to the next page there's a bunch of hands that are in clear view i think his hands are actually fine he draws them like a little cartoonishly big, but I think that's for effect, the same way like his the facial features on characters are a little too big. You know what I they say about so guys big. who
0: draw hands cartoonishly big, though, right? Tell me. They're really iconic artists who go on to do great <laughs> things. <laughs> that's what they say about all of them. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a good-looking comic. It is far from necessary, but it does... It's just Spider-Man running into, like, hey, weird demon stuff's going on. I don't understand this. It's some and of the, then he runs the, into some of his biggest yeah. villains.
1: It's some right? of the, like, the least interesting demons we're gonna i think we'll talk about this more broadly um when we talk about nesenti but the inferno thing is just an opportunity for all these creators to have like a lot of fun <laughs> i think yeah with yeah. like because they can get weird with it like inferno has it baked in that like things are weird here right like elevators are eating people and it's like yeah okay that's the only thing they can think of we see like four elevator attacks over the course of this and it's like <laughs> right yeah you know come up with something more interesting and Nesenti does I don't think Michelini here does even though McFarland does a good job of drawing some of the, like he draws an elevator and it looks cool
0: <laughs> I mean plot somebody. wise and Spidey right for sure plot wise and Spidey uh, Michelini is way more interested in doing Spider-Man rogues gallery stuff yeah. than than tying into Inferno you know yeah. they're a ref but like you know issue 312 is a Spider-Man hobgoblin showdown you know what I mean oh, like right. it's yeah, yeah. they're it's barely an Inferno tie-in, although it clearly occurs during this timeline. And I will say, too, like, so we skipped Peter Parker Spectacular, Web of. Those all have tie-ins as well that sort of fill in details here. Now, I would say just in terms of exposition, you get absolutely everything you need from Amazing. And mm-hmm. these are the only issues drawn by Todd McFarland. So for my money, they're the only ones you need to read during Mm -hmm. this time um i mean just looking at like his goblin and it's so good it's so good um but yeah i I think like he's not Michelini's a writer is not that interested in in doing anything fascinating with inferno it's just kind of like a fun landscape to play with
1: agreed agreed um the person who does take inferno in some like fun directions and really like utilizes it i think is nesenti and john romita jr in yeah. daredevil 262 263 and 265 and 262 i was glad to see this that it's like um we are reading the immediate follow-up to that typhoid mary issue where typhoid mary sends a like a series of c-tier villains to beat the snot out of daredevil and then she basically like pushes them off a bridge leaves them for dead um and i think there was one issue in between of like the torch running around manhattan looking for daredevil or something um but this one is about Daredevil kind of clawing his way back up from the edge of death uh, yeah. with, like, you know, he's in his head. They, these are all very, like, internally focused Daredevil issues on uh, his, like, inner monologue.
0: But And before he, before you continue with that, too, I do just want to say, yeah. like, there's definitely a payoff to having read more of the Nucenti JRJR run here. I think just kind of that framework of what's Matt going through, what's Typhoid Mary's deal, and then also, like, what's this network of kids you know that Matt has mm-hmm. been uh, and Karen Page especially have been like shepherding. Um, that backdrop helps a lot because the first time I read these was just jumping in like as only as Inferno tie-ins, mm-hmm. and in the, uh, those terms, I don't think they're super successful. Um, but when you factor it into like, oh, and this is a part of a larger, really good run, I think they're a lot better. All right, so you were and, and I think they Matt's work really recovery. well on both.
1: I, I think she like threads that interesting needle of like these feel like follow-ups to the Typhoid Mary story. Yeah. Also, are deeply woven into the Inferno thing. Like, I think this is really tough to pull off, and the a, a incredibly successful version of that for someone who's not involved in Inferno, right? Like Claremont is going to do the Excalibur. Well, stuff, she's those...
0: she added so much X Men, though. Going oh, sure, into she edited it, right? I, so it's, yeah, it's not surprising she would understand true, yeah. the world of X Men and Inferno better than most writers at this time. That's that's
1: very true. I'm sure she like had a lot of hand in kind of overseeing. the the whole thing. Um, Did you watch,
0: this is kind of a tangent. Have you watched any of the 616 documentaries on Disney plus the Marvel Mm -hmm. stuff? So the second episode is about the women of Marvel um, right. And Anne Santi and Louise Simonson are two of the women that get interviewed the most. Um, it's good stuff. I would recommend checking it out if you haven't, uh, both to you, Zach, but also to listeners. I, I'm way behind the curve here. Most people have checked this out if they're interested. I watched the first three episodes. Um, but the, the Asentia and Simonson and there's some Mary Jo Duffy stuff in there it was particularly interesting because I'm like, oh, yeah, we just covered a lot of those. Also, we talked to Anne. That was cool. Um, but, you know, it's like it's, it's cool to see sort of their reflections of the era, I, I think especially. But, yeah, I mean, she's... She's doing so much with the X-Men world and, and now writing her own Daredevil where it's like she's kind of the perfect fit to yeah. to be pulling off everything you're describing. And I think these issues do that. Yeah, so um,
1: three, am I getting this right? 262 is the, is that the vacuum
0: issue? 262 is it begins the vacuum, I believe. Okay. Well, and I will say like, John Romita Jr. is is very good at demons, specifically. Like, this yeah, is going to be a Nascente big thing this moving forward. Yeah. Um, but this is clearly a skill set that he has as an artist, you know? And, and like, yeah. not, it's not everyone's gift. You know, like, I would say those Avengers issues are pretty boring on the demon front. McFarlane doesn't get a ton to do yeah. with those. Uh, John Romita Jr. is just like, oh, I get to do devils? Like, that is my thing. Like, my mm-hmm. hair on people is basically already devil hair <laughs> like we're we're three-fifths of the way there the
1: way that john romita jr draws uh, mephisto when he shows up it's just incredible yeah uh, that actually is, is that is mephisto right yeah okay it's not just like mephisto i mean it's it's,
0: it's it's not specific i don't think about it but it's i mean it looks like mephisto and it's clearly I think it is supposed mephisto. to be like the devil yeah. and we yeah, see the, mephisto the in, hair his hair run in other places it's so cool you know yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah, two sixty two. He's 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 clawing his way back from death. Literally, like it's one of these sheer force of. It's it's almost like the if you know if this be my destiny thing. But instead of lifting something off him, it's just like willing his heart to beat some more. And then like, oh, I,
0: and I I said that wasn't the vacuum. I was wrong. That is that yeah, hundred yeah, percent the vacuum. That. Yeah. Okay. And then like, it's, it, but it's
1: in conversation with Stick. He's having like a conversation in his mind with you know a version of Stick who's you know, yelling at him, cheering him on to, like, to, to wake up. He, you know, kind of doesn't want to. Um, I feel like me- Stick
0: doesn't cheer on. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> he I mean berates. Berates, <laughs> <barates>, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but then, like, <laughs> he, uh, like, meanwhile, a vacuum cleaner that's, you know, sitting under the bridge, this broken vacuum cleaner is coming to life and strangling him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, slowly becoming sentient. Typhoid Mary shows up and is, like, you know, ready to chop his head off. It, it's really good, I think, like, it, it is a very effective build-up to Matt clawing his way out of this like situation he finds him in although it did make me think like wait does matt have a healing factor because the way it was talking about it was like set your bone so your bone can start healing and it's like well that's gonna take a a long time and it's like two issues from now
0: yeah matt matt has daredevil ninja learning like like Uh, meditation abilities that clearly allow him to heal his body he doesn't actually have you know, Wolverine abilities, but this comes up time and time again. It's kind of a convenient thing. I, I feel like most Marvel superheroes heal faster than the average, right? Well, Where of his, course. Yeah, Matt's sure. becomes based around meditation and, and his learnings uh, from, you know, his mentors a la stick um but yeah 263 continues the same kind of vein where it's like you know matt is in a hospital bed and the hospital bed starts attacking him but you mm-hmm. know that's not really the story the story is about like matt like <laughs> journeying to hell like mentally the kingpin being furious that the apparent hit on daredevil has gone awry because matt murdoch appears to still be alive like there's just it's a very clever smart way to say like yeah we're gonna have this demon attack but it's, it's kind of like a, a piece of the story we were already telling. Um, and it doesn't... It doesn't it, it just, like, propels the story forward. It doesn't, like, slow them down in any way. Which is a big problem tie-ins have a lot of times. You know, like, they, they get caught up in a tie-in and it's like, all right, for two issues, I'm stuck in this thing. For Daredevil, it's just like, no, the story's just continuing. There just happened to be demons and things to going crazy around a world that was pretty much already on fire. You know, for Matt, at least.
1: Yeah, and, well, and that leads to... I I think is the best issue here. The one that like I think was most effective is two sixty five. I think is,
0: I think two sixty five has the best demon murder.
1: Yeah, oh wait, which the one? The dentist. Oh 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 the dent. A I don't, dentist
0: does... destroyed oh, by oh, his the own uh, yeah, dentist yeah, yeah, sure. machines and tools and such. Um, yeah, because it's it's. I didn't go to the dentist you know, all last year. Up. Just thinking about it, had nothing to do with the pandemic. Very effective. Why why was this the best one for you?
1: Oh uh oh the the entire issue um. I think it... No, why will... am I
0: very right, specifically? <laughs> why would you also <laughs> well, agree with me?
1: Well, it wasn't about the dead test. I, I think it was just, like, Nisenti took this entire idea of Inferno and made it less about... I think, like, she found something interesting to do with it, which is find, like, a theme and a story she wants to tell, which uh, is kind of the, like, perseverance of New Yorkers. You know, it's clearly, like... I think it's pretty clear that she's very interested in New York as a character. It's something you've highlighted before when we're talking about Neighborhoods,
0: community, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, and and this one really gets to that with, like, you know, the rotten rotten side and then the, like, the fundamental, like, goodness that, you know, like, people can have and New York can have, right? And it kind of gets to, um, you know, the demons as, like, analog for the the worst impulses of you know crime and selfishness and whatever um, right and in new yorkers and then matt is kind of overtaken by this like bloodlust here like he's fighting demons but he's doing it like cruelly right like he's cold he's calculating he's silent he's not saying a word he's kind of lost Daredevil his... doesn't
0: doesn't speak the entire issue which is such crazy. a cool thing to do yeah. in his yeah. own book. He just walks through stone-faced and is silent, beating the heck out of demons. The entire comic. It is th- that that concept alone is super great. I love that.
1: Yeah, and then what finally like snaps for him when he comes to, what he does is he stops to pick up some trash, like in the middle of this you know hellscape. He like starts picking up trash, and that's like the moment that inspires everybody. To, like, start, you know, like, that, that turns the tide for the, the public here. And they all yeah. start, like, cooperating and, you know, viewing this as, like, just another bad day, but they'll get through it. And, like, I, I don't know, that, that that touch and that turn of um, just doing something kind of insignificant, but selfless and not yeah. violent and full of anger, right? Like, this kind of, like, boring, mundane, helpful thing turning the tide for the community is, uh, I think, it was really effective in the midst of an issue where, like, Matt just pulled a train literally out of hell. Like, there's a, <laughs> the subway is plummeting towards hell. It's showing yeah. like, you know, everyone's eternally damned, and he's like pulling the the horns, which are like the reins of a, a subway plummeting towards hell. Yeah, that was visually, the issue before. It's visually, this like, comic
0: is on fire. Like literally, yeah. like everything is red, everything is burning, like everything is in hell. You know, like that's where we are visually. Um, and yeah, it's Matt's walk through that. You're totally right. This this issue rules. I think like probably if you were gonna read. The vacuum cleaner, like Matt, like Daredevil fighting a vacuum cleaner, probably gets more just kind of like, haha, like reference, you know. But two sixty five is probably like the best tie-in. I mean, it's a really good issue as yeah. a standalone. Yep, yep, I agree. I think I think this is kind of a it, and like yeah, just
1: further cements that this run is severely underrated. <laughs> you know, like I, I think it's one of these yeah. things where like people know about it. But like, I just, I don't hear about it talked about in the same breath as like, I mean, maybe it's just a testament to how many good runs Daredevil has, but um, there's so much interesting stuff happening. Well, it's kind of the
0: thing we talked about with Nisenti, which is like, nobody wanted to follow up Frank Miller. Like, nobody wanted that gig. Um, And even with Nisenti and Nisenti and JRJR doing a good job (laughs) on that, it's still like, the run after Franks, you know, of course, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, un- but th- I mean the best thing to is that them, she's I not
1: trying to imitate that at all, right? Like, she oh no, really, no, she really takes it in its own direction, and you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe just at the time, you know, there was a little bit of pushback because people wanted ninjas and they wanted more, you know, like that kind of dark crime thing, and they, you know, weren't interested in what she's doing. Maybe that tainted it, but um, yeah, I'd be I'd
0: curious. Uh, Like, not enough to actually do it, but, like, in a summation of the letters page reaction at the time, because Mm -hmm. you have a fan base here going from Frank Miller, Daredevil, right, and Born Again, specifically, into a run written by a woman, by a woman, oh my gosh, by by a woman in, you know, the late (laughs) 1980s, when Marvel is obviously, like, not, that's not uh, something to do a lot of. Again, I just mentioned Mary Jo Duffy, Louise Simonson, and Ascenti, like, those are the ladies who get to do this you know around this time and good yep. for them for pioneering and doing such great work right um, but i i would actually be very curious in a summation around like was there a ton of bitterness especially because like you just said content wise content wise it's not like like oh daredevil's a run for girls now you know sure, but it's definitely sure. a different you tone know what? it's not i, trying I bet to do not. The Frank if Miller i had thing. to guess i'm going
1: to bet not because i don't think the like i i I don't know. I might be totally like speaking out of my ass here, but like the idea that you know, first time like, people would be fussy about this because it was like some kind of diversity hire.
0: I do, I, I would guess. It's oh, I don't not know about that. I I don't know about. Well, yeah, I mean, like, right,
1: that she got the job because of something else and not because she's qualified, right? Which is the reason that people fuss about female writers now. I mean, unless you were literally literally were like women can't write comics because they're not good at punching, right? Like something dumb like that. Um, which I, I don't think most people would admit to being that stupid, so they have to veil it in something like, "Yeah, but I'm just uh, I'm just asking questions about her qualifications, right?" That on, kind of. On one thing. hand,
0: it would be comforting to know that like readers were uh, more open at the time. On the other hand, it would be way worse to see oh things have actually progressed completely the opposite well, direction from the way they pre- should internet. have I think over the course just, of thirty all. years. I
1: think the internet has driven so much of that discourse and just sped it up. Well, and times, your, right. your, your,
0: your, re- your filter here for discourse is the Marvel letters pages that made it through. Right. Editorial but exactly page, right. right. But like
1: a lot, a lot of the discourse now would never make it into a Marvel letter page because it's repugnant. <laughs> right. So like where, yeah. where else do these ideas come together and fester and grow and solidify into communities in the eighties? Weird. Right? Uh, I mean, right. Weird individual, comic shops and fans, individual, individual groups of, at. you know, people who like meet. Up, you know, by themselves, but there's no, you know, unified hub for this. There's no distribution of these ideas, you know, that you can just. click on i find easily. Yeah,
0: I'm. You're right. I'm less interested in what did what did 80s comics readers make of a woman writing their comic. So I, much I am as, interested in that. I mean, I think that'd
1: be interesting. I just, I bet it's not as loaded as you know we might might assume it is.
0: Maybe not. I mean, that'd be good. Um, I mean, obviously the run went for a good period of time, right? Yeah. It's not like yeah. they put Anne on the book for. A minute, she, you know, she got to write it for four years, which is great. Um, I, I am interested in content wise if the reaction was like, This Daredevil is so weird and different now, this doesn't mm-hmm. work for me. Like, yeah. if, that, if that sort of audience whiplash kind of hit them, I, I think that would be interesting. But again, the book ran for a long time, and obviously, I mean, to your point, the bigger thing is there's a not like for readers who aren't in the know and obsessed about comics, there's mm-hmm. a sort of broad, like, Oh, yeah, you go from Miller and then you jump to Bendis. It's like you mm-hmm. go from the, the sure. good, uh, you know, 1980s to 2002, right? And it's like, why why are we skipping Nisenti's year every I, time? I'm, Those, I'm the... And plus, the big thing is the comics have not been collected sufficiently for a yeah, long time. The they are that... not filled in in Marvel Unlimited, right? It's these sorts of things that are small little things, but they add up where it's like you're kind of telling readers these are less important to us when yes, you don't, yeah. you know, prioritize them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm that reader, right? Like, I didn't know about Nasenti's run until, I don't know, maybe six months ago. A year ago, sure. like I didn't, I wasn't aware of it whatsoever. Oh, it doesn't right? get anywhere like near only, the publicity, only yeah. because you and I have been talking about it as it approached. Because you know, it's not collected in an omnibus. It's not touted much as you know this big run by whatever, whatever the powers that be are, I guess necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it is like one of these things I do see mentioned when I talk to you know like insider people who are really into this stuff, right? Like hardcore Matt Draper. Not to keep God the Draper quota. I just keep. I just keep hitting that Draper quote. every episode. You are so
0: far. I know, I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how I cut you off. Uh, you, can, you can't believe it. Yeah. Here's. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm gonna have to start punishing Matt. Yeah. I'm gonna have to take it all on him.
1: You should he yeah. deserves it. <laughs> 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 anyway. Anyway. I think we, we've said enough about uh, this ride. We, we both, I think, are quite. It's big good. Fans of Recommended. This. Yeah. You know what else
0: is good that I enjoyed? Uh, Excalibur. Crossing yeah. over. Lo and behold, uh, Chris Claremont had some contributions to the Inferno Saga. So, I mean, honestly, we could have included this as part of the X-Men episode. I mean, Mm -hmm. it clearly, obviously, it's part of the X-Men universe. It's written by Chris Claremont with art by Alan Davis. Um, But, you know, Excalibur 6 and 7, they get pretty frequently overlooked in the Inferno Saga. Um, They aren't a part of, like, the core, right? They aren't a part of X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants. They are less essential in terms of the developments, but they fit in very much. And, again, it's like you have the main architect, of the X-Men universe for the past decade plus writing these comics, of course, they're going to have some, some major X relevance. Um, uh, The bigger thing for me is Excalibur just keeps the train moving. I suppose to, to Mm -hmm. there is a literal train in this issue. It keeps the story moving while being a tie in in a way that I think is, is pretty smart, pretty successful. Obviously something Claremont is good at. Uh, I liked rereading this more than I anticipated. I would um, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. What was your Excalibur reaction this time?
1: Yeah, fun. Like it's still it's a fun team, right? Like he's doing, he he's giving space for Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler to have prominent roles instead of just always being the backups. Yeah. I think, which is yeah. which is nice, right? Like, and gives them time to all have their own moments. Which is something that I think sometimes you get you miss out on an X Men sometimes as the teams get so big, um, and the threats are so large that it feels like some people get relegated to the back seat um and so it's nice to like have characters that you like always i mean kitty pride has so many fun there's so much potential for kitty pride to have like these fun scenes and uh and you get you get a lot here like i like um what's her name um captain Britain's on-off megan. girlfriend here megan megan yep captain Britain and megan are carrying nightcrawler and kitty pride across the ocean because they're trying to get to new york from mm-hmm. uh, from the uk which Okay, I'll, I'll get back to this. Um, and halfway across the ocean, Kitty Pride has to pee. And, uh, and like, and Megan just says, like, um, can you just, can you just phase it? Which is a great, like, <laughs> Yeah, You know, I, I love when people, like, really dig down into people's powers like that and start, like, playing with the, the strange and weird implications that it would be to actually live with these powers. And the idea of just, like, well, can you just, can you make your pee just phase through us, please? <laughs> like, just pee right now and just phase <laughs> it through your clothes and me.
0: Well, and Excalibur is very good at exploring the strange. I mean, it's something yeah. that this book, like, it's going to be, it's a comedy book, I think, at heart, first and foremost. Um, But it's also, like... As weird as X-Men is, actually, you know, like like we think we know X-Men, but then you actually read the late 80s X-Men, and it gets especially weird, yeah. um, especially when you get into the Claremont Sylvester stuff that's going on, uh, like in the Australia era. But, like, Excalibur gets to be goofy. I think, like, Claremont and Davis, too, like, they're horny. Like, they're, they're real horny, making these comics They're horny for Megan. They're especially horny for Brian Braddock. He's constantly shirtless, getting his clothes torn off, which is something that uh, I know Connor talked about in our 89 Part 1 coverage but you know like they're like i i have to think that um you know this is no it's not i was gonna say like it's the sexiest x-men comic it's not, it's um, not
1: particularly sexy no <laughs> no
0: it's really not that but you know there's there's that angle to it. But yeah, I mean like I, this is, so this story basically once they get to New York, kind of investigate what's going on with Inferno. Megan gets transformed into the goblin princess. They run into all these demons. Um, Rachel Summers, the reason they go to New York is they're following Rachel Summers who rooted out that her, You know cross time cross dimension baby brother nathan Nathan, who's little baby nathan from the inferno saga uh is in trouble right so rachel goes Mm -hmm. and she's kind of figuring out like what's going on with nathan what's going on with madeline Pryor, who again is a clone of rachel's mother from another timeline right so there's a lot of family connections there that brings them into the inferno event where rachel gets i don't even know like absorbed into some sort of demonic thing where she's just like in a wedding dress, smiling for
1: most she's of the a, issues. She's a mannequin, right? She gets yeah. to, to a mannequin in a, a shop window. Yeah, yeah. Just but, creepy. you know, yeah. it's
0: like, it's a big, kind of goofy, strange, often weird, something. And a scary. goblin
1: decides to, like, marry her because the marrying her will be uh, That's That will be the spell that he's casting uh, that will bind her to him so he can use the phoenix power, this creepy little goblin guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, like, Nightcrawler has to fight. Fun- I mean, the, the fun part here for me, the one that stood out, is that Kitty Pride, I mean, everybody's getting sucked into these weird roles, right, where they, like, kind of lose themselves in the demonic... Kitty's influence. a
0: cheerleader fighting uh, Freddy Krueger for a
1: bunch of this. Well, exactly. Kitty Pride keeps, like, in, 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 they go into, like, a movie studio or something, and Brian Braddock keeps getting sucked into, like, he becomes this big Arnold Schwarzenegger-style action yeah. star and kitty pride's like the victim here being fired at with the big machine guns and then it shifts to like you said she's like in a cheerleader's outfit running through a high school from brian braddock who turned into freddie krueger and uh yeah like it just and then it turns into like a, a weird dance scene between the two of them where um whoever's orchestrating that who's who's doing that oh the goblin princess goblin um, princess which is, is... megan
0: kind of getting taken over she then she then converts brian into the weest manthong. You've ever seen on mm-hmm. a, on a Captain Britain? I'll I tell didn't you that. that. <laughs> oh, it it, it is we, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's just constantly. Si- it's kind of a it's kind of a sign of like the ethos of Excalibur and kind of what it's going to want to be, which is mm-hmm. like hopping genre, hopping just like again when we get to cross time caper, which is kind of the big arc that comes up, like just doing all like travel traveling to all these weird places, right, and playing mm-hmm. with like, oh, we could do an action story, we could do a pirate story, we could do. Um, yeah, we could do this genre, we could do kinda that, like, right? And um, just kind of lumping all that like together. Like legends.
1: What is it called? Legends of Tomorrow? The, yeah, the sure, the DC show. show? Yeah, oh, that, that, that's very kinda, much
0: similar yeah, to what Excalibur becomes. The, the I, the I do like... The lets it be...
1: Actually, you know, that's. I was going to say the conceit lets it be messy, but I actually don't know if that's true. Like, is the conceit of Excalibur allow it to be any more... There, there's no, like, main premise that kind of lets it be silly. It's just kind of the tone that he decides to take with it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's
0: the thing about early Excalibur, which is so interesting, is, like... The premise is, is, I mean, it kind of is that from the beginning because it's kind of like this kind of feels like a mojo story and that is the villain they kind of start out fighting, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's just like there's, I mean, it's kind of of the thing of a Captain Britain book where it's, there's a lot of weird dimensions. There's a lot of these different realities. They're all kind of converging and hijinks ensue. And then it Mm kind of hones into this thing where it's like, yeah, also we're going to literally explore, um, you know, alternate versions of ourselves in other realities, right? So it becomes then... A constant state of Excalibur versus this week's uh, Elseworlds deal, right? And this these issues kind of start setting that up in ways that I really like, um, which is to say, there's a the introduction of a Nazi train. I what i going to get back to because I was like, in the UK. I,
1: I I felt genuinely really lost in like where this came from and how it tied into anything that was happening. And I was so like, that, maybe Dave those, can explain this.
0: Right. So, like, those have nothing to do with Inferno so much as that's, like, the core of Excalibur, you know? So mm-hmm. if you read the, the run all the way up through, like, issues 1 through 12, that kind of becomes the main story. And mm-hmm. what happens here is, so we get introduced to actually, like, we get introduced to this Nazi train that shows up, which has alternate reality, um, not alternate reality, like alternate dimension, I guess, uh, versions of X-Men characters specifically... Dr. Moira McTaggart, and her bodyguard, British, Callisto.
1: British Nazi, right? It's like if the Nazis yeah. won World War II and took over the yeah. UK, but then, and now so Moira is now a Nazi. Uh, it's it's an idea.
0: <laughs> well, and it's it's going to continue to be a plot that plays out in the pages of Excalibur yeah, if it's you continue through with it. I don't know. I think it's the kind of thing that, obviously, f- it, it feels like it could be an absolute disaster. I'd be curious about people with... Uh, with different perspectives, I suppose, on that story arc. I'm not going to analyze it in full because all we cover here today on these issues is just, like, they show the up. Reveal. Rereading yeah. it. I mean, because I think, like, conceptually, if I was like, hey, Zach, do you want to read this series that doesn't take itself seriously, is in the late 1980s, and is going to throw in Nazis into the equation, you know, you'd be like, that sounds like a recipe for a really messy story. Um, and there are parts of it that are, for sure, mm-hmm. but I also, I, I actually think those issues, like, I found them way more interesting Rereading them, then I. A lot of people really.
1: There's there's a bunch of people in the Slack. There's some like real diehard uh, Excalibur defenders from this earth. Not even defenders, because people like this comic in general. I think so. Like, but um, you know, cheerleaders who like this initial part of uh, Excalibur quite a bit. So yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. I, if I actually might like it. Enough. I
0: think I actually probably like kind of these issues and then where it goes for a minute before it like more than the cross time caper. Okay, that's
1: say. what we're going to read next cuz we're I don't think we're reading anything until we get to Cross Time t- Caper next year. Yeah. Um for the club. So I guess if you're interested, we're skipping we're skipping about 11 issues. So if people are interested, you know, just make time to read them on your own.
0: Of course, of course. Yeah. Um and like there's some good Rachel Summers stuff here too, which like she's mm-hmm. an interesting character cuz she's got these ties to the Phoenix, you know, and it's like obviously that's a huge thing in X-Men. Um so yeah, I dug these issues. I don't think they're uh, they're about as close to like like you know essential i would say as you can get not being literally the x-men and x-factor stuff that is that is telling the main story and new mutants right
1: yep yeah so i i think overall i'm pretty positive on inferno both the tie-ins and the main event you know like it's a little sprawling but um i've read let me see what what events have. it's a little bigger than it needs to be yeah maybe maybe a little bit but like yeah, because like I, I, think the events I've read or what, what there was that carnage, absolute carnage, is that what it's called?
0: <laughs> the 2019 event? Yeah, yeah.
1: I read, I read through all of that, and that was one where it was like, and the tie-ins. Yeah, I read all the tie-ins. Main event good, tie-ins almost entirely superfluous, and I rather, I wish I hadn't touched them. That's um, a weaker tie-in showcase for sure. Yep, and yeah. then like DC, I've read a few events from DC, right? Like the Infinite Crisis and stuff, and those, uh are also kind of sprawling and like had its mix. I, I think that was actually more successful in like compared to Inferno. It's about like not more successful than Inferno. I compared to Inferno in that like mostly worked, maybe a little too you know all over the place. Um, yeah, but I'll I'll be curious to keep keep uh you know checking out events. I re- I do think I really prefer the idea of like reading the core issues and then plucking through all the tie ins rather than like going the other way. Because even with that Absolute Carnage one. I think it was just exhausting because I was like, all right, here's like a great issue of the meat of the, the story. Yeah. And yeah. then and then this stuff doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't, right? Like, most of the tie-ins don't actually lead into the main event on purpose, right? They, they do that intentionally. They don't tie in. And at best, they will do something like in the next issue, someone will mention something that happened to tie-in. And then it will be a little asterisk saying, like, to find out what they're talking about, read Fantastic Four number 32, you know. Right. I so think like- the
0: thing that you the thing that bothers me the most now is the bait and switch. Right, it's the this is a tie in, and then you go to read it, and it's like this had like one panel that referenced the event. Right, I'm seeing this right now. I'm doing the King and Black reading order on Compo Carol, and it's like there are already like after the first issue there were two issues that were like. This is the 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 King in Black tie-in, even the part like the tie-in part of this was actually very similar to Inferno. It's like, hey, we're mm-hmm. gonna battle some symbiote dragon kind of things. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like even that was like so minor to the point of, okay, you just call this time just to trick people, essentially. And it's like, I don't care because I'm putting together these reading orders, but like for people that are actually out there like going to their shops being like, I want to read the whole event,
1: that sucks. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you just spent four bucks on something that like has absolutely no relevance. I don't necessarily need it to like contribute to this main story because you kind of have to have your expectations set reasonably where there's going to be a core focus right there's going to be literal main event issues and then there's going to be the core series around it right like you mentioned absolute carnage okay that's the thing re- uh, written by donny cates his venom run is probably going to be a core part of that and it is yep. right mm-hmm. then there are the issues though that like are clearly set during the event and just kind of they have a good idea. Like, Al Ewing's very good at this currently with his Immortal Hulk stuff. Well, I mean, if Immortal Hulk is the, the great, standout. Yeah,
1: his his tie-in to Absolute Carnage is the standout with Yeah, with Immortal Hulk. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So,
0: like, some... And, it, you know, it's kind of the thing where, like, yeah, good creators on good runs often find a way to make that interesting. Um, and if the run That's... isn't working to begin with, it rarely... It really like finds a, finds its footing in a tie-in. You know what I mean? I
1: right. I wonder if what like Anna Nassanti told us when we interviewed her about how because I you know I asked her if when there is this big event right do you get roped into it or is it opt in right do you get yeah. to say like hey I I want to bring Daredevil to Inferno or do you are you mandated to do it and she was like mm-hmm. oh no we're all itching to do it right like we all say like yeah let me come play with this you know th- this comic um let me bring my comics to the to the event whatever i wonder how true that is now right and i wonder if that still holds up where you know eventers don't get just mandated be like hey sorry but we are gonna we do have to have you have miles react to king and black for two right. issues right like right and you know and then they just kind of have to tread water and put their own thing on hold and versus you know they genuinely have a, a good idea or something that they want to bring
0: i mean i know. do think right it, it is an interesting question i mean i do think that both publishers on the big two side of things have gotten a little smarter about recognizing the backlash to fans. Don't like seeing the books put on hold, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. Right. Um, and there's, it's the two thousands are so strong in that from like 2005 through, you know, 2012, probably even longer. Right. Where there's, there's enough evidence here to be like, okay, our tie-ins are going to kind of go off to like miniseries. It's going to be less often, interrupting actual runs unless those creators kind of want to play in that space. So I don't know, at least the way they've been talking about it, like, so like Jonathan Hickman's like the biggest name of Marvel, right? And his X-Men crossed over with empire. The event they did in 2020, that was by choice, right? Like they have a conversation and it was there's
1: no way they would derail him without, you know, unless he specifically wanted. Well, but I, but I think
0: that's actually probably increasingly true, right? These creators have a relationship. They'll be like, what's the premise? What's the story? How can I do it I mean there are, there are gonna be exceptions very small series on creators who are probably newer to this they don't get a choice like I just I just interviewed uh, writer Jed McKay who's writing black cat for Marvel which is mm-hmm. super underrated really really good mm-hmm. um and hit he, he that series had to relaunch its first issue came out it's a tie-in to King black um and it's that's a, that's a tricky premise right to launch your series into an event tie-in you know so it's like Marvel's trying to do that I yeah think, God, sales. That feels like the, the kiss of
1: death. For that though. Well, it's
0: actually a really good comic. Like, it'll be interesting yeah. to see because I, yeah. I think he found a way to do it that's really, really smart. Mm. Um, but to me, that sounds exceedingly hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and th- and I kind of doubt that one's by choice. So, anyway, it's it is an interesting question. I think you know we'll see lots of examples of it being a clear mandate before we see, <laughs> I think, some flexibility. And I mean, I don't know what the exact number is, but probably on average, like if like a third of the tie ins are worth reading. You're probably doing pretty well, you know, hmm. like it's it's not going to be a super. High well, percentage.
1: especially especially in a world where, you know, you don't actually have to read them. Right. Like that. That is why I, I kind of appreciate splitting, splitting off, read, doing our reading separately. And I think that way, if you're in the club, you do have the decision. Hey, like, do I want to read all this? I can do it. And if not, then you have the, the way that we're splitting it up event yeah. and tie ins, you know. To,
0: to yeah and your... certain readers are going to want to read all of it you can always go over to comic book herald to do that um but many of you may just want to read the curated portions that we're going to cover here on my marvelous year and uh and i think that's you know that's smart as well i would say like probably before i started covering events on comic book herald that like i probably always read the main event and then checked out some tie-ins i don't think i i don't think i often would actually do it until like because now i'm actually reading them as they come out you know mm-hmm. yeah, So like week, i'm actually week, doing yeah. it you know one by one um but that, that, that also that
1: also feels a little different to me reading them as they come out, right? Because I, I feel like oh for sure you have you have to wait, <laughs> so like I I maybe I wouldn't be as frustrated with like the, the fluff if it was like well I don't have the next issue of the main event sitting in front of me right now that I could just flip to Marvel Unlimited and read you know the entire main event I do have oh to well wait that's a just week a problem so gonna,
0: yeah I mean that's just yeah. a problem with the the cadence of release versus the band yeah yeah uh, which sure. is always going to be true um, okay. Cool. So this has been Inferno Part Two. We're done with Inferno. Uh yeah. So yeah. Pretty good. Like, thanks for getting hot in here with us. We do appreciate Ooh. it. Next time on uh, 89 Part Three. Let's see. This is going to be a six-part year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to do three, four, five, six. On Part Three, we're going to talk Incredible Hulk. We're going to talk Wolverine. And we're gonna talk Captain America as the Captain Saga concludes. So we got some really interesting comics coming in part three. Um, actually, really like this whole year, like each part is pretty good here. There's there's some meat to sink into, and then uh, we'll kick into the '90s after we get through all four of those parts. So, Zach, how you feeling?
1: Good. I'm excited about the rest of '89. I'm like excited enough that I'm i'm bummed out we did our you know kind of just by necessity of the end of the year did our best of the 80s already because there's a few things here that i'm like would they have made it in you know like i, I kind yeah, of acknowledge there's some contenders sensational she hulk i really i've read that already because i was um seeing if i was going to add anything to the list but um i really like that and I, I acknowledge that a little bit just by picking burn as like my favorite writer of the 80s um but dr strange and dr doom triumph and torment I'm pretty hyped up for that, so uh, I, I hope my expectations are not getting too high for that. But then even more so, 1990 Starlin is coming back, and I could not be more excited for that because I read that was the first thing I think I read when I got Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, I think because I got Marvel Unlimited, I think in response to seeing Infinity War and was like, all right, I want to get into Marvel comics and that was the first event i jumped into and it's a little messy for you know like a first timer um like i didn't have as, that much context but even then i still like adored it and had a ton yeah. of fun with it and there's some great comics in there um and i have like the complete omnibus of it now so i can sit down and read the the whole thing the
0: infinity gauntlet mm-hmm. yeah. yeah oh that's a yeah that's a nice omnibus. Um, yeah. cool no that'll be fun I, I agree Those getting in those comics will be awesome uh, again we're My Marvelous Year you can find ways to support us over at patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year if you can rate and review the show on iTunes that helps us out a great deal as well music for the show is by Disaster Peace I'm Dave you can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald you can find Zach on social at My Marvelous Year and together when we combine our powers we're My Marvelous Year thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening Zach I was trying Always to think of a funny pun like
1: zave or Dak, but neither of those were funny so i didn't say yeah that. i don't that's think why, we'd have a that's great
0: the pause a like sh- that could be oh, a fun oh. drink oh that's the really good that's our ship name yeah don't okay. ship right. us people it's we cracked okay. it start shipping us please and <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next year see you next year Pretty good.